Hello, and welcome to Beach House 34, the show that dives deep into true crime cases, revealing the truths behind crimes that reveal shocking secrets. Stories sure to make you just a little more paranoid, and maybe even lose sleep. Here's your host, Christine Wirth. Welcome, welcome everybody to the Beach House 34 True Crime Podcast. This is part four of Darlie Routier, Did She or Didn't She? If you missed the first three episodes, they're episodes numbers 33, 34, and 35. And you can find these on your favorite podcast platform. Now, as I did in part three, episode 35, I'll give you a brief recap as to what we've talked about so far so that you're all caught up. If, however, you want all of the details, I highly suggest listening to the previous episodes, which will give you far more in-depth information than I will give you here. In the last episode, I read the testimony that Darren gave at the hearing, and Darren being Darley's husband, gave at the hearing to hold Darley without bond. The next person up to testify is Jimmy Patterson, who was the lead detective on the case. Now, Darren, actually right after Jimmy Patterson, is also recalled to the stand for further questioning. And then later, it's the testimony of Charles Lynch, who was the trace evidence analyst at the Institute of Forensic Sciences in Dallas, who discusses the blood spatter. Now, what I'll do is I'll add chapters here so you can move from piece to piece if you'd like to, because this is going to be quite a lengthy episode. So let's go ahead and get into a recap of the whole Darley case really quick. What happened is in the early morning hours of June 6th of 1996, Darley Routier was sound asleep in the downstairs family room with her two children who were sleeping on the floor Damon, who was five, and Devin, who was six. The children had their pillows and their blankets all out on the floor, and Darley was lying on one of the couches. They had all been watching television and had all fallen asleep. The television and the sound were still on. Darley's husband, Darren, was in the upstairs bedroom sleeping with their youngest son, Drake, who was eight months old. Now, Drake was in a bassinet or crib, in the parents' bedroom. Around 2.22 in the morning, Damon and Devin were attacked and stabbed viciously. Darley sustained cuts to her throat, her shoulder, and her forearm. Now later, Darley would make a statement to the police that she had been awakened and saw someone inside of her home. The assailant moved away from her and went through the utility room and into the garage. Investigators noticed that one of the screens within the garage had been cut open. Now, the window to the garage itself had also been left open, which was also unusual. Darley went after the intruder and followed him into the utility room. And according to Darley, she saw him drop a knife on the floor, which she instinctively picked up. But her decision to pick up that knife raised doubts with the police and investigators regarding her claim of an intruder. Now, after the police dispatcher had instructed her to not touch anything, Darley admitted that she had already handled the knife, and she quickly realized that she may have compromised fingerprints and acknowledged that fact with the dispatcher. 
Nadarli's call to 911 came in at around 2.30 in the morning. The call lasted nearly six minutes. Within, as I said, the first 30 seconds of the call, the transcript provided by the Rowlett Police Department says that at this 30-second mark is Darren talking. Although it's unintelligible, you can't tell what he's saying, they distinctly say it's Darren. I believe it's a dog barking, and it's not a person. The first officer on the scene was David Waddell, and he arrived at around 2.33 in the morning, according to his testimony, just three minutes after Darley called 911. The second officer, James Walling, arrived at around 2.35. We know by now that Darley was arrested for the murder of her two children, but there's always been this controversy that surrounds that, and this is because, among other things, The man who walked the crime scene hours after it happened, a man by the name of James Cron, determined within 20 to 30 minutes that it was from someone inside the house, that this crime happened because of someone inside the house. And at this point, he didn't even know that 75 yards down the alley behind the Routier home was a sock that contained Devin and Damon's blood on it. The police quickly cleared Darren, which left only one other suspect, which was Darley. Her bail was first set a few months after the crime, and it was set at $1 million, uh, $500,000 per child. And this new hearing that I'm covering is the hearing to hold Darley without bail. And this hearing takes place around the end of August and lasts for approximately three days. I think it's three days. During this bail hearing, We heard the testimony of the doctor who performed the autopsy on Damon, and these are in previous episodes, uh, Damon being the youngest child, as well as testimony from Officer David Waddell, who was the first officer on the scene that night. And as mentioned, uh, Darren was called to the stand, which was kind of surprising because he had been sitting in the audience and wasn't a part of the original uh, group of people that had already been sworn in. Uh, But nonetheless, that was the previous episode. We heard Darren's testimony. The next up to testify this same day, uh, right after Darren testified, was the lead detective on the case, Jimmy Patterson, Jimmy Ray Patterson. Uh, He was called as a witness for the state of Texas. He had been sworn in. And Mr. Greg Davis, the prosecutor, then begins with questioning. And he says, sir, would you please state your full name? Jimmy Ray Patterson. How are you employed? I'm a police officer for the city of Rowlett Police Department. How long have you been a Rowlett police officer? Almost 13 years. And what rank do you hold at this time? I'm a detective. How long have you been a detective? Seven and a half years. Let me direct your attention back to June 6th, 1996, sometime in the early morning hours. Did you go to 5801 Eagle Drive in Rowlett, Texas? Yes, sir. Did you go there as part of the investigation concerning the deaths of Damon and Devin Routier? Yes, sir, I did. Did you have an opportunity to speak with patrol officers out there? Yes, sir. At the time that you first got there, had anyone done a crime scene search? No, sir. Who actually performed the crime scene in this case? 
Sergeant David Neighbors and some people that works with him. Did you have an opportunity during the course of your investigation to walk through the house at 5801 Eagle Drive? Yes, sir. Detective Patterson, if you would look through the photographs that I have marked as states exhibits 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16, and tell me whether or not those are true and accurate photographs of the scene as you found it at 5801 Eagle Drive. Yes, sir, it is. Okay. Mr. Patterson, first of all, let me show you states exhibit number nine. In this photograph, do we see a butcher block with eight knives contained in that butcher block, sir? Yes, sir. And where was this butcher block located in the house? It was on the kitchen cabinet in the kitchen. All right. This one empty slot here, did you ever attempt to determine whether the knife portrayed here in States Exhibit number 8 would fit into the slot of the butcher block shown on States Exhibit number 9. No, sir, I didn't. Okay. To your knowledge, did perhaps Charlie Lynch of Southwestern Institute of Forensic Science do that? My understanding is he did. Yes, sir. States Exhibit number 10. What is shown here? Basically, the backyard and the garage area of this address at 5801. These windows here to the left portion of this photograph are those windows that actually are inside the garage? Yes, sir. This window closest to the house over here, does this show a window that has been raised up with a screen that has a T cut to it? Yes, sir. Looking here at State's Exhibit number 11, is this a close-up of that window closest to the house that is shown in State's Exhibit number 10? Yes, sir, it is. And it shows a cut to the bottom portion of the window folded back. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Is the fold toward the inside or toward the outside? Outside. Well, does that, does the screen itself, does that fold inward toward the garage or outward toward the patio area? Well, what I remember is that it's outward towards the patio. Well, no, I think it was inward towards the inside of the garage. Okay. Did you, first of all, let's talk about this window. Did you go into that garage and look at this window ledge here on state's exhibit number 11? Yes, sir. Could you see any blood on that window ledge, sir? No, sir. Could you see any blood on the screen itself? I didn't see any, no. Could you see any blood on the window frame portion of that window? No, sir. Did you go into the garage to determine whether you could see any blood on the floor of the garage? Yes, sir. And what was the result of your observation? There wasn't any blood. How about the backyard portion of that house? Did you look for blood drops either in the flower beds or on the walkways of the backyard? Yes, sir. Did you see any? No, sir. Did you see any blood on the driveway? No, sir. Did you see any blood on the garage door that was there at that residence at 5801 Eagle Drive? No, sir, I did not. Was the garage door down and latched at the time that you saw it. I know it was down as far as it being latched. I'm not sure. Okay. 
Take a look here at States Exhibit number 12. Is this a portion of the carpet that is going to be basically between the couch and the love seat in the family room area? Yes, sir. And this large red area, is that blood on the carpet? I believe so, yes, sir. Okay, do we see a handprint on that carpet, sir? Yes, sir. Can you tell the court about the size? Did you have an opportunity to look at that? Yes, sir. The size of that? Yes, sir. Did it appear to be an adult's hand? No, sir. What did it appear to you to be? A child's hand, a real small child. Okay, Stace Exhibit number 13. Is this a portion of the linoleum floor in the kitchen, sir? Yes, sir. If we could look at Defendant's Exhibit number 1, and if we are looking at the kitchen area here, Detective Patterson, when we look at State's Exhibit number 13, do you see a wine rack in that photograph, sir? Yes, sir. And if you could, if you could just point to the area of the kitchen where the wine rack would have been located. Right in here. And witness then pointed on the diagram. Is that close to where someone has written telephone? Yes, sir. The portion of the floor that we're looking at, would that be the portion that is basically between the telephone and this kitchen bar? Yes, sir, it is. And does it look, is it looking into the kitchen? We're basically looking, are we not, in this direction toward the kitchen, towards the kitchen sink area? Is that right? Yes, sir. We see on this photograph, do we see any broken glass on the floor? Yes, sir, there is. Do we see blood droplets also? Yes, sir. Officer, did you have an opportunity to look at this at the kitchen floor for blood evidence? Yes, sir. Sir, is there any, were there any bloody footprints that would lead from the end of this kitchen bar on, you see this area where the red line has been drawn? Yes, sir. Was there any bloody footprints at all found that would have taken from, say, the end of the kitchen bar toward the utility room? No, sir. Are there any bloody footprints from the area from the utility room back to the area, let's say before you get to the kitchen sink? Are there any bloody footprints? No, sir. Are there any bloody footprints in the utility room? No, sir. Again, I think you said that there was no blood at all found in the garage. None in the garage, no. So how about the area between the kitchen leading back into the family room? We did see some footprints there, yes. Okay, bloody footprints? In the blood, yes, sir. Okay. The broken glass again that we're looking at, would that be between the kitchen bar and where the telephone or the wine rack would have been located? Yes, sir. States Exhibit number 14. Are we now looking at some of the bloody footprints that you found? And if we're looking here, are we looking... This would be the kitchen sink area or a rug in front of the kitchen sink. And as I move the pen, this would lead you back around that kitchen bar to the den. Is that correct? That's right. States Exhibit number 15. Is this a photograph of the kitchen sink? Yes, sir. And do we see a large amount of red material here on the front portion of that countertop? Yes, sir. Do you also see red material lengthwise on this cabinet, sir? Yes, sir. 
And looking at States Exhibit number 16, are we looking at blood droplets inside the utility room also? Yes, sir. Detective Patterson, did you have an opportunity to observe Darley Routier at Baylor Hospital sometime on June the 6th, 1996? Yes, sir. About what time did you get over there to see her? I believe it was sometime a little after 6 o'clock was the first time that I saw her. 6 a.m. or 6 p.m.? 6 a.m. All right. So we're talking approximately three and a half hours after the first call had been made. Yes, sir. Okay. And where was she when you first saw her? She was in, I believe they called it a recovery room in one of the, at the hospital, at Baylor Hospital. All right. Did someone go over there with you from the Rowlett Police Department? Yes, sir. Who was that? Detective Chris Frosch. Did you have an opportunity to actually talk with Darley Routier at that time? Yes, sir. And who was present at the time that you talked with her? Detective Frosch. And then there was a male nurse that was pretty close in the room with us. All right. How would you describe Darley Routier's demeanor at the time that you met her at Baylor Hospital? Well, I feel that she understood what we were talking about. At this point, Mr. Douglas Parks, the defense attorney, says, Your Honor, we object to that as being non-responsive. And the court then says, sustained. The prosecutor, Mr. Greg Davis, then continues, How would you describe her demeanor? That she understood what we were talking about. Again, Mr. Parks stands up and says, Same objection. And the court says, sustained. Mr. Greg Davis then continues, I mean by that, was she excited, was she crying, or what was she doing? Well, she was not crying at the time when we first met with her. What was she doing? How would you describe the way she looked? Well, she was just laying there, and I think she had just come out of surgery. Okay. She, and we just started questioning her. So did you actually have a conversation with her about what had occurred at her home? Yes, sir. During the time that you were speaking with her, did you believe that she understood what you were saying to her? Yes, sir. Did her responses to you, from your viewpoint, did they appear to be appropriate for what you were asking? Yes, sir. How long a conversation did you have with her at Baylor Hospital? About 40 to 50 minutes to an hour, I guess. Okay, and during that time period, did you ask her what had happened to her and her two children at her home? Yes, sir. And what did she say to you? Well, she described an intruder coming in and stabbing her kids and then chasing the intruder back towards the utility room where she realized she had been stabbed. And what else did she say? She gave us a description of the intruder and what description did she give you? Well, we let her give us a description, and she was trying to tell us that she thought it was a white male giving us a clothing description, and then I stopped her, and I asked her to start from the very top of the head, and let's work down. And she described a ball cap, a black ball cap, no lettering or nothing on the front of it. It was wore frontwards, where the bill was towards the front of the face. She was able to describe a somewhat middle-length hair in the back. She couldn't describe any face at all. She thought that he was a white male with a black t-shirt and blue jeans. 
And did she tell you whether or not there had been a struggle between her and the intruder? She had told us that there was a struggle. Uh, One time she said that she didn't recall, and then one time she tells us that there was a struggle. Well, at what point did she say that she didn't recall? When she first tried to describe the incident, at the first time we talked to her, was when she described that she remembers seeing the suspect laying over her or leaning over her, and she didn't realize that she had been cut. The suspect, she was struggling with her arms. He backs off and then runs or walks off towards the utility room, and she chases him, and he goes into a the garage area, and in the utility room is where she sees a knife on the floor. All right? Now, that first account, was that the account that she gave to you at Baylor Hospital? Yes, sir. So as I understand it, she says that she woke up and the man is leaning over her. Is that right? Yes, sir. Where did you understand the struggle occurred between her and the intruder? What location in the room? Oh, when she was lying on the couch. All right. Why did you get that impression? Well, she told us she was laying on the couch. She had been laying on the couch asleep. And then she woke up and the man is leaning over here, correct? Yes, sir. Then the struggle took place? Yes, sir. And then the man did what? He turned and walked towards. And there is somewhere in there that he either walks back towards the utility room. Then there is a time when she says he ran towards the utility room and she chases after him and gets to the utility room and realizes that there is a knife on the floor and she realizes that she has been cut and she is bleeding. Did she tell you how she was lying on the couch? Yes, sir. And how did she say she was lying on the couch? She described it as she was laying on her back with her head towards the south end of the sofa. Okay, would that be towards the television in the room or away from the television? Well, towards, well, closest to the TV. So her head is on the portion of the couch closest to the big screen television, right? Yes, sir. And she is laying on her back during this time. Yes, sir. During that first conversation at Baylor, did she tell you when she was stabbed or when she was injured by this intruder? She told us that she didn't realize she was injured until she got to the utility room. Okay, you said that she, that during this account, she said that the struggle occurred on the couch, right? Yes, sir. Do you remember anything specific that she said about the knife? Any comments that she made regarding the knife at that time? Well, she told us that she had picked up the knife and placed it on the bar top and that her fingerprints would be on it. Did you, based on your experience as a police officer, did that strike you as funny? No. Or unusual? Well, you know, at the time, it just, I was not sure at that time. Uh Uh-huh. Did you find any of her actions or reactions to be unusual at that time? Not at that time, I guess I didn't. It was, I guess, later in the investigation, you know, when it just didn't seem like things were adding up. During that conversation that you had with her at Baylor, do you recall her ever asking about the condition of her two children? No, sir. Do you recall her ever saying anything about the two kids other than the fact that they were stabbed? No, sir. 
Did you ever talk with her about any of the valuables that may have been in the house at the time that she went to sleep? Yes, sir. She said that she had taken jewelry off and placed it on top of the bar top, which is going to be at the north end of the sofa. And we just asked her to describe the jewelry. And she described what? She described the jewelry in great detail. Okay. During the time that you were with her at Baylor Hospital, did you feel that she was in shock at that time? No, sir. Did she, did you feel that she was mentally capable of answering your questions? Yes, sir. Did you think that she was physically capable of answering your questions? Yes, sir. When you finished this conversation with her, did you have an opportunity to go through the house? Yes, sir. A couple of hours later. All right. The jewelry that she described to you at Baylor Hospital, were you able to confirm that? Yes, sir. What jewelry did you find and where did you find it? Exactly where she told us. There was several rings, a watch, and one or two bracelets. Okay. And where were those items located in the house? On top of the bar top where she said they would be. Okay. And that is the bar that separates the kitchen from the living room and part of the den. Yes, sir. Did you find any other jewelry in the kitchen besides those items? Yes, sir. There was some jewelry on the that little countertop that is in the middle of the kitchen. Would that have been closer back toward the utility room? Yes, sir. Was there a watch back there? Yes, sir. Did you ever find her billfold or her purse? Yes, sir. Where was it? On top of that same countertop. Did it appear to you that the purse or the billfold had been disturbed in any way? No, sir. Did you ever find any items that had been taken from that house? No, sir. Did either Mr. or Mrs. Routier ever tell you that they found items that had been taken from their house? No, sir. Did you have a conversation with Mrs. Routier about a possible sexual assault? Yes, sir. Can you please tell us how that conversation took place? Well, we just asked her if she thought she had been sexually assaulted. I'm not quite sure how, but, you know, I asked her and she said that she had felt some pain, but she didn't think she had been. And so I asked her if she would go ahead and submit it to a submit to a rape test just to make sure. And she agreed to it. Okay. And the results of that test were negative. Yes, sir. During that first meeting, did Mrs. Routier ever mention anything about the kitchen sink? No, sir. Did she ever tell you that she went over and washed a washcloth in the sink? No, sir. When is the next time you saw Mrs. Routier? A Friday afternoon, Friday night. That would have been now, what, June the 7th? Yes, sir. Where did you see her? At the hospital. Anything unusual occur during that visit? Well, we really didn't go into detail about, you know, what happened. We were just basically there just to see how she was doing. What was her demeanor at this time? How was she acting? Well, she was, again, she was acting okay. She was coherent and she understood, you know, what was going on. She was not, she wasn't crying like I would think she would have been. Did you ever see her cry on June the 6th? No, sir. How about on June the 7th? No, sir. 
How long did you stay with her that time? On June 7th? Yes. Oh, we weren't in there but about 10-15 minutes. Who is we? Detective Frosch. At some point, were you shown a tattoo? Yes, sir. When did that occur? It was at the police station in one of the one of the interview rooms, but I'm not sure of the date. So that is going to be after she got out of the Baylor Hospital. Yes, sir. So you saw her on the 6th. You saw her on the 7th. Did you see her on the 8th of June? I'm not sure without looking at my notes. Okay. Detective Patterson, let me show you State's Exhibit Number 20. Does this appear to be a true and correct copy of the voluntary statement that you took from Darley Routier on June the 8th, 1996? Yes, sir. Okay. Prior to taking the voluntary statement from Darley Routier, did you advise her of her Miranda rights? Yes, sir. Are those rights contained on the top portion of that voluntary statement? Yes, sir. Did you read those rights to her before she gave you that statement? Yes, sir. Okay. Let me just ask you in general, how did you advise her of her rights on that day? When did you first advise her of her Miranda warnings on June the 8th? Well, when we first went into the interview room, I just told her that I was going to explain her rights to her, which I did. How did you do that? Just reading it off to her. Did you read it off a card that you keep? Yes, sir. All right. And do you have that card with you today? No, sir. Okay. Do you recall? Well, are the same rights contained there on the voluntary statement? Yes, sir. Okay. How many times did you read Mrs. Routier her Miranda warnings prior to her actually giving the voluntary statement? This day, just one time. All right, can you please read to us the Miranda warnings that you gave to her on June the 8th of 1996? Well, this one here says that because we want them to read it along with what we say, but this one here says that, quote, I have the right to have a lawyer present to advise me prior to and during any questioning. There is a little line and she initials that saying that she understands what her rights are. And then it's got number two and says, if I am unable to employ a lawyer, I have the right to have a lawyer appointed to me to advise me prior to and during any questioning. Again, it has a line and she initials the line. And number three, I have the right to remain silent and not make any statements at all. And that any statements that I make may be used in evidence against me at my trial. There is a line and she initials it. Number four, I have the right to terminate the interview at any time. There is another line and she initials it. Number five, any statement that I make may be used in evidence against me in court or used against me in court. And there is another line and she initials it. Okay, so those are the warnings that you read to her. Is that right? Yes, sir. And she initialed that for each one of those warnings that was read to her. Is that right? Yes, sir. Did she also read those warnings prior to the time that she gave you the voluntary statement? She has this to read off of. All right, let me ask you. Did you threaten Darley Routier in any way in order to have her to give you a voluntary statement? No, sir. 
Did you promise her anything in order to give a voluntary statement to you? No, sir. Coerce her in any way? No, sir. Did she agree to voluntarily and freely give you the statement that is contained in States Exhibit Number 20? Yes, sir. Okay. Was this statement given in Darley Routier's own handwriting? Yes, sir. This statement itself is what? 10 pages long? Is that right? Yes, sir. If you could, we're going to go to page five. And if you would, if you will read aloud, beginning where it says, quote, I started to get sleepy and continue. If you will go through where I have shown you on page nine, please. Okay. If you will read it out loud, I started to get sleepy. The next thing I woke up and felt a pressure on me. I felt Damon press on my right shoulder and heard him cry. This made me really come awake and realize there was a man standing down at my feet, walking away from me. I walked after him and heard glass breaking. I got halfway through the kitchen and I turned back around and ran and turned on the light. I ran back toward the utility room and realized that there was a big white handled knife lying on the floor. It was then I realized that I had blood all over me and I grabbed the knife thinking he was in the garage. I looked over and saw the door shut to the garage and I thought he might still be in there. And I, I'm not sure what this is. To Darren, maybe it's hollered. I hollered to Darren. I ran back through the kitchen and realized the entire living area had blood all over everything. I put the knife on the counter and ran into the entrance, turned on the light, and started screaming for Darren. I think I screamed twice, and he ran out of the bedroom with his jeans on and no glasses, and was yelling, what is it, what is it? I remember saying, he cut them and he tried to kill me. See, I'm not sure what this is. Neck. He ran down the stairs and into the room where the boys were. I grabbed the phone and called 911. Darren started giving Devin CPR while I put a towel on my neck and a towel over Damon's back. I remember telling Darren to hang on. I remember telling Damon to hang on. Mommy was there and I looked over at Darren and saw the glass table. I'm not sure what that is. Knocked halfway off and the flower arrangement pulled back. I'm not sure what that is. Ben knocked over. I then stood up and turned around and saw glass all over the kitchen floor. I tried to glance over to see if anything was out of place or if anything was missing. I took a few steps and opened the door and screamed for Karen. I was still on the phone with 911 and I don't recall what all was said because everything was happening so fast. I went back to Damon and by then he had stopped moving and the police, something through the door, walked through the door. All right, now Detective Patterson, the first time that you spoke with her, she talked to you about a struggle. On June the 8th, did she say anything to you about a struggle occurring between her and the intruder? Not in that report, she doesn't. Did she during the conversations with you on June the 8th? I honestly don't remember if she did or not. Well, what she said to you here about a person standing at her feet, walking away from her, was that consistent with what she told you at Baylor Hospital? No, sir. 
In this statement, she says that she got halfway through the kitchen and turned back around to run and turned on the light, then back toward the utility room and then came back to the living area. So she is going through that kitchen. How many times? Three times? Yes, sir. You saw the glass on the floor there in the kitchen, did you not? Yes, sir. Would you say there was a lot of glass out there? Yes, sir. Did you have an opportunity on June the 8th to look at the bottom of Mrs. Routier's feet to see whether she had any cuts to the bottom of her feet? I don't think it was June the 8th that I did, no, sir. All right, on some date, did you? Yes, sir. Did she have any cuts to the bottom of her feet? No, sir. Was that a pretty tight squeeze between the kitchen bar and that wine rack? Yes, sir. Did you have a meeting with her at any other time? You had one on June the 6th, June 7th, and June 8th. How many other meetings did you have with Mrs. Routier? There was another one, and I believe it was June the 10th or maybe the 11th. I think the 10th. Let me just ask you, at any meeting that you had with Mrs. Routier, did she ever mention using that sink either before or after the police officers arrived in that house? No, sir. What is the best description of the intruder that she ever gave you? It was a white male wearing a black cap, no face, a black t-shirt, and blue jeans. Okay. She gave us, I can't remember the height and the weight. She did give us the height and the weight. But when she gave us that description, when she said height and weight, she looked at Frosh and said about Frosh's size. How tall is Chris Frosh? About 6'2 or 3. Okay. Now, besides the written statement that you took on June the 8th, did you ever take any other written statements from Darley Routier? No, sir. I don't think so. Let me talk to you about the backyard at the Routier's home. Is it fenced? Yes, sir. And what color is the fence? White. White wooden fence, correct? Yes, sir. Did you examine the wooden fence to determine whether or not you could see any blood on the fence? Yes, sir. What was the results? None. Did you look to see whether you could see any scuff marks like someone had climbed over or jumped over that fence? Yes, sir. What were the results? We didn't find any. Would it be fair to say that you found blood inside this house, but you found none outside? Is that right? That's correct. The knives that are shown there in the butcher block, as well as the other knife that was found on the kitchen bar, were those submitted by the Rowlett Police Department to the Southwestern Institute of Forensic Sciences for further examination? Yes, sir. The window that is shown that leads into the garage along with the window screen, were those also taken by the Rowlett Police Department out to the Southwestern Institute of Forensic Sciences? Yes, sir. For further examination? Yes, sir. The black cap that is shown on the floor of the utility room, to your knowledge, was that taken by the investigator of the district attorney's office out to the Southwestern Institute of Forensic Sciences for further investigation. I know they took it into their possession. In this statement, looking on page six of this statement, does it not say, quote, I looked over and saw the door shut to the garage, and so I thought they might still be in there and I needed to get Darren. Yes, sir. The door that she is referring to there, 
which door did you take that to be? The door leading from the utility room into the garage. Okay. At this point, Mr. Greg Davis says, I'll pass the witness, Your Honor. Let me just ask, Detective Patterson, let me just show you a five-page report entitled, quote, Prosecution Case Report. Is this the report that you prepared in the case, sir? Yes, sir. Okay. Did you prepare any other written reports? Yes, sir. Well, no. Well, yes, I did. What other reports did you prepare? An affidavit for the warrant. Okay. So the affidavit that is attached to the arrest warrant? Yes, sir. Okay. So actually, the only written report is the prosecution report in addition to an affidavit that you prepared, correct? Yes, sir. All right. Your Honor, at this time, we will tender to counsel a five-page report entitled, quote, Prosecution Case Report, and we will pass the witness. At this time, Mr. Wayne Huff, the defense attorney, says, may I have a few minutes, Your Honor? And the court then says, what do you need? Five or six minutes. Mr. Huff says, it's pretty long. I may need about 10, Judge. And at this point, the court recesses for a few minutes while he reviews this information. When the uh, hearing is resumed, uh, Mr. Wayne Huff, the defense attorney, then starts to cross-examine the uh, Officer Patterson. Officer Patterson, when were you first notified about this offense? I believe it was about 3.30. Were you already on duty? No, sir. Did you have to come on duty especially for this? Yes, sir. Who notified you about it? Dispatch. Okay. Who was the next person you talked to about this case? I believe it was Sergeant Walling. All right. Where did that conversation take place? In front of 5801 Eagle Drive. All right. What time was that? I'm not quite sure without looking at my notes. It might have been that I was notified at 3 o'clock and I arrived at about 3.30. Okay. It was sometime right in there. You talked about you don't remember without looking at your notes. Do you have your notes? No, sir. Are those notes still in existence? Yes, sir. You just don't have them down here today? No, sir. Now, how long did you and Detective... Is it Officer Walling? Yes, sir. He is a patrol sergeant. Okay. How long did you and Sergeant Walling talk? Just a brief few minutes. What did he tell you? Something about two children had been stabbed, the children's mother had been stabbed, and that the intruder had left the residence through the garage, and that they had some patrol units looking for the intruder, along with the Garland canine unit was looking. All right. Is that all you remember him telling you? At this time, without looking at my notes, yes, sir. All right. Who is the next person that you talked to about this case? I'm not sure. Was it a police officer, a fireman? I just don't remember. Well, what is the next thing you did with regard to this case after you talked to Officer Walling? Well, I remember that Sergeant Walling and Lieutenant Jack had come to me and asked me to go to the hospital and talk to Darley Routier. What time did they request that you do this? It was sometime before 4 o'clock, around 4 o'clock a.m., all right. Now, when did you go to the hospital? Right after they asked me to. Did you talk to anyone else in between the time about this case? Or 
Did you do any further investigation on this case prior to the time you went and talked with Darlie Routier? Well, I had talked to a lady across the street from 5801 Eagle Drive. Uh, what was her name? I don't remember. What did she tell you? That she had saw a car parked in the cul-de-sac right there. Well, actually, it's not a cul-de-sac. It's a little curb there in front of this address. And she thought that she remembered seeing a car there earlier and that it had left sometime around when the fire department arrived. Did she tell you anything else? Not that I recall. Did you talk to anyone else before you went to the hospital? Well, I know I talked to a fireman, but I don't remember what was said about that. Okay, you don't remember anything that the fireman said to you? No, sir. You don't remember anything that you said to him? No, sir. Did you make any notes about it? No, sir. Anyone else that you talked to before you went to the hospital? No, I don't remember. I don't remember talking to... I don't remember. All right. Who did you go to the hospital with? I left and went by myself. All right. Who was the first person you met when you got to the hospital? Detective Frosch. He had already arrived, I guess. Yes. How long had he been there? He might have been there about 30 or 40 minutes. Did the two of you talk? Yes, sir. What was discussed between you? And I did talk to him at the scene in front of 5801 Eagle Drive, too. Okay, let's go back to the scene. What did you and Detective Frosch talk about at the scene? Well, I explained to him what Sergeant Walling had told me. And then I just asked, and then I found out that Darren Routier was on his way to the hospital. So I just asked Detective Frosch to go to the hospital and go ahead and get with Darren Routier and see if he could tell us what happened. All right. That's all you talked about with Detective Frosch at the scene? Yes, sir. Now let's go to the hospital. What did you and Detective Frosch discuss at the hospital? Well, he had already talked to Darren a little bit, and he explained to me what Darren did or didn't do. What did he tell you Darren did or didn't do? Well, I don't remember exactly what he said now. Something about Darren remembers waking up and hearing Darlie screaming for him, and he comes running down the stairs, you know, asking what happened, and he runs into the den, and he sees the oldest boy over by the coffee table with blood on him. That is what Detective Frosch told you? Well, I can't remember exactly, but that is what we were talking about. Yes, sir. All right. Did you and Detective Frosch discuss anything else other than Darren? Not that I recall, no, sir. Did you talk to anyone else at the hospital prior to talking with Darlie Routier? We had talked to some nurses. All right. Which nurses? I don't remember their names. Did you write them down? Yes, sir. They are in your notes? Yes, sir. How many were there? I know one in particular that night. What did you talk to them about? I just asked her if Darley had said anything when she came into the hospital. What did she tell you? I don't remember. Well, did she tell you that Darley had said anything important or noteworthy? Well, she told me, but I can't remember exactly what she said without looking at my notes. Okay, what is the next thing? Who was the next person that you talked to about this case? 
there was a couple of Baylor police officers there when that we talked to. All right. What did they tell you about this case? I don't know that they told us anything about the case other than them just coming in. Well, they were not at the scene, were they? No, sir. All right. So they couldn't give you any information on the case. Is that correct? No, sir. Had they talked to Darren or Darley or any of the witnesses in this case? They had not talked to Darley. They placed Darren into one of the family rooms. All right. Alone or with the family? There was a neighbor that had taken Darren to the hospital, and I believe, I know he was in the room sometimes, and he was out of the room sometimes. All right, so after you talked to the Baylor police about this, who is the next person or persons that you talked to about this case? Detective Frosch and myself went in there and talked to Darren for a little while. At this point, Mr. Huff, the defense attorney, says, could I have one second judge? And the court says, sure. And then Mr. Huff again starts off and says, you talked to Darren a while? Yes, sir. All right. How long did you talk to Darren? I'm not sure. Probably 30 minutes. What time did you start talking to Darren? It was before six o'clock. Who else was present when you talked to Darren? Detective Frosch. Did you ask him questions or did he simply provide you with a narrative? No, we asked him a few questions. All right. Uh, Tell me what your questions, what is the first question you asked him? Well, I don't remember the first question. Well, what is the first question that you do remember asking him? Well, I remember us asking him again, you know, what had happened. And he explained that, you know, he heard Darley screaming and he comes running down the stairs. He said he had been upstairs asleep in his bedroom along with the baby Darley and the boys went to sleep. They stayed downstairs and went to sleep watching TV. And he went upstairs sometime a little after one o'clock or one thirty. And I asked him about the clothes he was wearing because the blue jeans had blood on them. And there was also a cut on his jeans. And he explained that he got the cut, the tore place on his jeans at work. And that the blood was when he was kneeling down trying to help the oldest boy. We asked him if he he had on a white T-shirt, but he said that a neighbor had furnished the T-shirt. He had some blood on his stomach, and we took photographs of him. We asked him if he couldn't take his blue jeans along with his underwear, and he gave us permission to have them. And we called a crime scene officer to take possession of those and to take photographs of him. Or no, I took photographs of him. And he was not wearing any shoes or socks. He had blood on his feet. At first, he thought that he had been cut. But then we realized he realized that he was not cut on the foot. What else did he tell you? Did he tell you anything else? I don't remember what else he said. What was his emotional state? Well, he was crying a little bit. Then he would stop crying and he was calm for a little bit. And then he laughed a couple of times. Anything else you remember about his emotional state? No, sir. Did his emotional state seem appropriate to you for the occasion? Yes, sir. Now, after you got through talking to Darren, by the way, did you record this interview with Darren? No, sir. You just took notes about it? Frosch took notes. You didn't? No, sir. 
after you got through talking to Darren and after taking his clothes, what is the next thing that you did in regard to investigating this case? Well, we learned that Darley had been moved to a room and they had given us permission to go to the room to talk to her. Now, had anyone else talked to her prior to you talking to her? As in who? I mean, the nurses? Doctors? Relatives? Nurses? Doctors? Well, nurses and doctors. All right. Do you know whether or not anyone had told her that both of her children were in fact dead? I do not know. You said that she never asked you about her two children at this time. I don't remember her asking me. No, sir. But for all you know, she may have already been told they were dead. Is that correct? Yes, sir. What was her demeanor? Well, she wasn't crying. At all? Not with tears. Well, I mean, she seemed upset somewhat, but she didn't have a problem answering our questions. All right. Now, was she sedated at all at this time? I'm sure she was given something to help with the pain. Had she been under anesthetic at the time of her surgery? I don't know. Did you ask anyone? No, sir. Well, if she had just come out of anesthetic, officer, wouldn't that be important for you to know at that point? Well, not the way... I mean, she was answering our questions, and that is what we were interested in at the time. Well, would it be fair to say that a person with a clear head is going to give you a better description of what she is talking about than someone that has just come out of surgery? Well, to us and us asking the questions, she seemed to be answering our questions okay. All right. Did it seem strange to you that she was not crying? At the time? No. At the time, we didn't think about it. You didn't think that was unusual at that time? Well, not at the time, because I didn't know, I don't remember if, I don't remember if she knew about the babies or not. Okay, well, at the time, it didn't seem unusual to you? No. When did this demeanor of hers start seeming unusual to you, detective? Throughout the investigation. Well, you said it didn't seem unusual at this time when in the investigation, When in the investigation did it start seeming unusual to you? During the investigation, I can't tell you, you know, one minute when it started, it was just during the investigation. All right. Well, when it finally struck you that her demeanor at the hospital had been unusual, what did you think at that point? How should she have acted that would have satisfied you as to her demeanor under the circumstances? Well, I'm not sure how to answer that question. Well, would you have been happier if she had gone into hysterics? Would that have satisfied you? Well, you are asking me if I would have been happy. That is, I don't think that is right. Well, maybe happy is the wrong word. Would you have been satisfied if she had gone into hysterics? No, sir, that is not what I mean. No, sir. Well, would you have been satisfied if she had been incoherent? No, sir. Okay, well, what should she have done? How should she have acted differently that would have made you made her look less suspicious to you in hindsight? I don't know. Detective, prior to this date, how long had you been a police officer? 17 years. How many murder cases have you worked in that time? 
I have been involved in four or five murder cases. Were those all in Rowlett? Yes, sir. How many cases have you been involved in where children have been murdered prior to this date? None. How many cases have you been involved in where two children were murdered in their own home in the presence of their mother? None. How many cases, murder cases, have you worked where a stabbing is involved prior to this date? None. How many times prior to this date had you talked to a woman who just had her two children murdered? None. Had she been given any medication prior to your talking to her at the hospital? I'm sure she had. Did you bother to ask what it was? No, sir. Did you ever ask what it was in this investigation? No, sir. You don't think that was important to know? Well, at the time when she was giving us the information, she was giving the information to us clearly enough that we thought it was okay. So, no, at the time, I guess I didn't think it was that important. Okay. Now, you talked to her for 40 or 50 minutes. Yes, sir. At the hospital? Well, I'm only guessing about how long. Okay, you asked her questions, is that correct? Yes, sir. All right. Now, since you can't remember exactly the questions that you asked her, could you tell us the information that you remember her relating to you at that time? Well, she had explained to us about the intruder, and we asked her for a description, and she gave us a description of the intruder and what she recalled doing. What did she say she recalled doing? Well, that she had woke up and she finds this person, you know, leaning over her and she doesn't realize that she had been stabbed at that point. And she, the intruder, starts running or walking toward the garage and goes into the, excuse me, let me stop you there. Did you say, did she say running or walking? Well, at that particular time, I don't remember if she said running or walking. Okay, go ahead. And he goes toward the utility room and she follows him going towards the utility room. He goes into the garage and she sees a knife on the utility floor and picks up the knife. And at this time, she realizes that she has been cut and she is bleeding and takes the knife and puts it on the or places the knife on the bar top in the kitchen area. All right. What does she tell you happens next? She is screaming for, or she gets on the phone. She is screaming for Darren. She calls 911 and explains to the dispatch, you know, what had happened. And they send the police and fire. Okay, what did she tell you happened next? She gives us a description of the intruder. She says that the intruder is wearing, well, she tries to give it to us. And I stopped her and asked her to start from the very top of the head And she says that the intruder is wearing a black ball cap. She doesn't, there wasn't anything on the front of it. Now, let me stop you there. Did she say there wasn't anything on the front of it or that she didn't see anything? She didn't see anything on the front of it. The bill was towards the front, towards the face. He was not wearing it backwards. She could see she didn't have any face to this intruder. She saw his hair coming out from under the ball cap, a black pullover t-shirt, nothing on the t-shirt, no writing on it or nothing, and blue jeans. She doesn't remember a belt or shoes and socks. That was the complete description she gave you. 
how tall his weight, and she described that part as being about the same height and weight as Detective Frosch. Did that differ in any manner from the description that she gave to Officer Waddell? I'm not sure what she gave Officer Waddell. Did you ever talk to Officer Waddell? Not that morning, no sir. When was the first time you talked to Officer Waddell? I don't think I talked to Officer Waddell for a few days. I just read the report he wrote out. Which one? The offense report. The one that he wrote on the 6th or the one that he wrote on the 7th? I would have to look at the dates. I mean, I know he wrote an offense report and then his supplement. Okay, let me show you what has been marked as Defendant's Exhibit Number 2. And I will ask you to look at that and see if you can identify that report. Okay, it looks like a copy of the offense report or parts of the offense report that Officer Waddell had wrote or typed out. Is that the complete report that you read? No, sir. All right. There is some more of Officer Waddell's report that is not included in there. Well, yes, sir. Could you tell us what that is? Well, it is the front page of the offense report. So there should be more to this report than there is. Yes, sir. Okay. At this point, uh, Mr. Wayne Huff, the defense attorney who's been doing this line of questioning, turns to the judge and says, Your Honor, we would ask to be provided with that report. We thought this was the complete report. And then the prosecutor, Mr. Greg Davis, uh, pipes up and says, well, I believe that to be the complete report. I have no further reports from Officer Waddell. So if they are in existence, I don't have them. And Mr. Huff says, OK, and then goes back to questioning the officer. Well, what would the missing front page say? Well, it just gives you the date, the time, the offense number. It gives you the complainant or the victim's name, address, business name, phone numbers, offense title. And then it's got another, well, about pretty close to half the page on there is about stolen property or recovered property. Okay. Now, when you reviewed Officer Waddell's report, other than the missing first page, was it just like it is now? I believe so. All right. What date did you review that report on? Either the, let's see, either later on Thursday afternoon on the 6th or on Friday. Okay. How are reports generated out there? Those kinds of reports. Well, the uniformed officer will take the initial report, which is placed in a box or a tray that is in the patrol room. The sergeant reviews the report, he checks it off, and then it's stuck into another tray for when the sergeant that is over CID, the Criminal Investigation Division, comes in the next morning and he reviews the report and then he assigns it to the investigator. All right, so does the officer dictate the report? No, sir. Is it typed for him? No, sir. He types it himself? He types it himself. All right. So if the report was typed by the officer on the 7th, when would you see it? When would it get past the sergeant? Well, if he did it on the 7th, I probably wouldn't see it until the 8th. All right. So the report you read, 
you either read it on the 6th or the 7th. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Okay. Well, how would you have had the last page of that report if it wasn't typed until the 7th? What do you mean the last page? Well, if you will look at the last two pages, you will find that there is a supplement there indicating that the last two pages of that report were done on June the 7th. Well, this report here was separate from the offense report. All right. This came in later. All right. So you didn't have access to that part of the report. Well, I mean, sometimes, yeah, sometime after the 7th I did. Okay. Sometime after the 7th, right? But not when you first looked at Waddell's report. Is that correct? Well, if I looked at this report on the 6th, then no. If I looked at it sometime on the 7th, then yes. You might have had it? Right. Okay. These two reports came in separately. All right. They are attached now, but they came in separate. Okay. Between the time that you saw the first report from Waddell and you received the second of Waddell's reports, did you personally talk to Waddell? No, sir. To your knowledge, I know. Go ahead, I'm sorry. I know what the deal is on this. I took the offense report. Okay. That is why there is not a front sheet to this report. Okay, fine. Okay. He just done this as a supplement. I took the initial report instead of Officer Waddell. Okay, now... That wouldn't be the prosecution report. Is that correct? No, sir. Okay, but you did the actual offense report. Yes, sir. At this point, uh, Mr. Huff, the defense attorney who's been doing the questioning, says, Your Honor, may we be provided with that if the state has it? And then Mr. Greg Davis, the prosecutor, says, Well, during the course of questioning, I will look again but I don't recall seeing that, but I will begin looking at this time. And then Mr. Wayne Huff goes back to questioning and says, just a matter of procedure, officer, when a report is done by an officer, is it given to someone to review before it goes to the detective? Mr. Davis then pipes up and says, I'm going to object to this. There is no relevance shown as to procedures for the reports. And Mr. Huff says, well, this certainly is. And then the court says overruled. Mr. Huff then says, as a matter of procedure, what is the procedure for the report getting to you after the officer typed it up? The officer places it in a tray in the patrol room. The sergeant picks it up at the end of the shift, reviews all of the reports, places it into another tray where a supervisor over the investigation division picks it up and reviews it and assigns it to a detective or an investigator. Okay, so that all would have happened before you got the report, right? Well, it would have, yes, but I took the offense report. Okay, now I believe we're back at the hospital and we were on a description of the individual. We were talking about him running or walking away from the scene. What did Mrs. Routier tell you happened after the man was running or walking from the scene? That he ran towards the utility room, into the utility room, into the garage, 
She chases or follows after him. She sees the knife on the floor and picks up the knife. And then she realizes that she is cut. Again, did she use the words running? During one of those stories, and I will have to go back and check and look at my notes, but during one of those stories, she does say that he is running. You don't know whether it was this story or another one? Well, not for sure, no. All right, so she goes and picks up the knife. Did she say that she touched anything in the utility room? No, other than the knife. Did you ask her if she touched anything in the utility room? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. Okay, but you hadn't been to the scene at this point. Is that correct? No, sir. All right. Now, after she gets the knife, what did she tell you happened next? Well, she realized that she had been cut. She takes the knife and places it on the bar top, which divides the kitchen and this den. Okay, what does she tell you happened next? She gives us a description of her jewelry. Okay, what does she tell you next? I don't remember after that. I don't remember if she told us anything after that. All right, so she stopped there? Well, I don't remember. I don't remember what else was said right after that. All right, so did she tell you anything else at the hospital after she gave you a description of her jewelry? I'm not sure. Did she talk to you about calling 911? She told us that she called 911. When did she tell you that? When she was describing about how she, after she picks up the knife and places it back on the countertop, then that is when she picked up the phone and called 911. Did she talk to you about screaming for Darren? Yes. So she told you that? Yes. Did she talk to you about Darren administering first aid to either of the children? Darren told us that he had. Okay. Did Darley tell you that? I believe she did, but she said that he was administering first aid to the oldest boy over by the coffee table. All right. So she told you about that. What did she tell you that she did as far as first aid, if anything? Well, I'm not sure. It seems like at the time that she said she had placed a rag on the youngest boy, but I am not sure if that is when she told us that or not. You mean she might have told you that at some other time? Yes, sir. Okay. Did she tell you anything about what she told the police officers? No, sir. Not that I can recall. Okay. Did she tell you anything about standing next to the sink and getting towels? No, sir. Did you ask her if she stood at the sink? No, sir. Did you ask her to describe what she and her husband had done the evening prior to this incident? Yes, sir. What did she tell you? She said that they had had an argument and that she said it was not that bad of an argument and that they had had an argument earlier in the evening and they had sat down and this is when the two boys were laying on the floor and had already gone to sleep and they sat down in the den and talked about it for a few minutes about their finances and that they finally kissed, told each other that they loved each other. And then Darren takes the youngest, the infant child upstairs and goes to bed and she stays on the couch or the sofa. Did you ask her if the television was on that night? I don't remember if I asked. Well, I don't remember. 
It seems like she said that they had been watching TV earlier, but I don't know if they were at that time or not. Okay. Did you ask her if she had been taking any medication this evening that this happened? I don't remember asking her about any medication at that particular time. No. Did she tell you about any medication she had been taking? I don't remember. Okay. I know there was a time that we had talked about medication that she had been taking, but I don't remember if it was right then or not. Now, is there anything else that you remember her telling you that evening that you later found was inconsistent with the physical evidence or inconsistent with what she told you later? Not that I recall right now. After you got through with your conversation with Mrs. Routier, what is the next thing you did in this investigation? Detective Frosch and I went back to the scene at 5801 Eagle Drive. What time did you arrive? I'm not sure. Morning? Yes, sir. Late morning, mid-morning? I'm not sure. It wasn't late in the morning. What did you do when you got back to the scene? I met with Sergeant David Neighbors. He is the sergeant that is over crime scene. Had he already been into the crime scene? Yes, sir. What did you all talk about? He was just kind of describing to me what was inside of the crime scene. What did he describe to you? Well, he described how that, of course, the medical examiners had already been there and left with the oldest child. And we went in there and he just kind of pointed out some things inside the crime scene. I'm not sure exactly what, without looking at the notes, what we did first. Okay, well, without going into specific order, what did you do? What did he show you? What did he point out? Well, he was showing me some blood that was found in the area when you first walk in the residence. And then there was a large, where was this blood located? On the floor? Or on the door? Oh, it was on the floor. On the floor. Okay. Was it on a rug there in front of the front door? There was some on a rug and then some on the floor. Was there any on the door? Yes, sir. On the doorknob. Okay. What is the next thing you remember him showing you? Showing me there is a plastic mat that leads into the hallway and there was blood on it blood on the carpet in the den. There was blood on some blood on the coffee table, some blood on the sofas. There was drops of blood in the kitchen area. He showed me the knife on the bar top. Then we talked, I guess, a little bit about the screen and the window going out of the, or that is in the garage leading into the backyard. Anything else that you remember him showing you or talking to you about? Well, I mean, he showed me a lot, but this was over a period of time, too. I'm talking about that morning now. Well, I don't remember what else we did at the time. All right. Now, after you had seen the crime scene, what did you do next? Without looking at my notes, I'm not sure. Where did you go next? Uh, Probably back to the office. And then I know it was late in the evening. We had discussed that we what we were going to do with the house and we talked about you know maintaining the house did you ever talk to any of the paramedics or firemen that were at the scene well i had talked to one but not about you know exactly what happened other than i remember him saying you know it was just it was bad 
He didn't describe anything, but no, I did not. There was, they already had written reports and I just looked over the reports. The firemen had written reports. Yes, sir. And the paramedics had written reports. Yes, sir. During your entire investigation, prior to your arrest of Mrs. Routier, did you ever personally interview the firemen or paramedics? No, sir. Did anyone at the Rowlett Police Department do that? Someone had told them to write out the statements. Okay, but no one to your knowledge personally interviewed them? No, sir. Well, I mean, I'm sure that someone may have talked to them. Well, I don't know. I'm sorry? I mean, I don't know of anybody that just personally interviewed them. No. Who else besides you was investigating this case? Detective Frosch? Did you work together with him at all times, or was he interviewing people while you were interviewing people, or how did it work? Well, we worked together, but yes, sir, he would interview someone, and I would interview someone. All right. Sometimes it was together, and sometimes it wasn't. Were you the lead investigator? I was assigned the case. Okay, well, that means you were in charge, right? Well, I would say Sergeant Evans was in charge. Okay, did you review the reports that were generated But all of the other officers? Yes, sir. Including Detective Frosch? Yes, sir. And was there anything in your investigation that indicated that anyone personally interviewed the paramedics? No, sir. Or the firemen? No, sir. Other than the defendant and Mr. Routier, what witnesses did you personally interview? I would have to look at my notes to see... At this time, I don't recall anybody else. You mean the only people you personally interviewed were the defendant and her husband, to your knowledge? Yes, sir. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Did you receive leads during your investigation on other suspects? Well, we received some information, but there was two other detectives that looked into that. Who were they, please? Keith Needham and James Latham. Now, was this just information or actual suspects that you came up on? It was just information, calling information. Now, the next time that you interviewed anyone personally, I guess that would have been on the 8th when you took the statement from Mrs. Routier. Is that correct? Yes, sir. All right. Now, did you request that they come to the station at that time on the 8th? Yes, sir. Okay. But you had also talked to her on the 7th. Is that correct? Yes, sir. All right. Now let's talk about that meeting on the 7th. Did you go? Who was with you at the time? Detective Frosch. All right. Was there anyone else present in the room when you talked to Mrs. Routier? I'm not sure. I mean, at some point there was, but I'm not sure during the whole conversation or not. All right. How long did this conversation last? 10 or 15 minutes. What did you discuss with her? Well, I don't remember exactly what because we really didn't want to get too much into the case. We were just wanting to see how she was doing. Okay, is this any particular reason that you didn't want to get into the case at the time? No. Well, would you say that she was, she appeared to be feeling better on the 7th than she was on the 6th? Well, she seemed to be okay with what had happened. I mean, she seemed to be okay with what had happened? 
Well, I'm not sure exactly how to describe it. She was, I mean, she was just not broken down crying or anything about it. Is that what you expected? Yes, sir. I'm sorry? Yes, sir. It is? Yes, sir. Okay, well, how was she acting? Well, I mean, she was not crying. I mean, she was upset, but she was not just broken down crying. And I remember her saying something about, you know, how could anybody do this to her children? Did that seem like an appropriate statement to you? Yes, sir. Okay, but you expected her to be broken down crying. Is that right? Yes, sir. Okay. Did that seem suspicious to you at the time? Well, I think it was just all of it together. When you start looking at it, yes, sir. Okay. Did you consider her a suspect at this time? I know. I mean, I'm sure that we were looking at her, you know, at that time we were looking at her and Darren as a suspect and any, if we didn't have a suspect or have anybody else. Yes, sir. Okay. Well, you didn't have any other suspects, did you? No, sir. Okay. You never developed any other suspects in this case? No, sir. Okay. So she wasn't broken down crying and that later seemed strange to you. Yes, sir. Did She did ask how someone could do something like this to her children. And what else did y'all talk about? I don't remember. Did you take notes of it? No, sir. Did you record this conversation in any way? No, sir. So that is all you remember about this particular conversation. Is that right? Yes, sir. Now... When did you ask she and her husband to come down to the Rowlett Police Department? It was sometime Saturday. By the way, did you talk, it might have been Detective Frosch, talking to Darren and asking them about coming in? By the way, when you talked to Darley the day before, did you talk to Darren that day too? That Friday? Yes, sir. On the 7th? Yes, sir. I'm not sure now if he was in the hospital or not. You So you don't recall talking to him? No, sir. No, on the 8th, when they gave their statement, you had them come down to the police department. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Is it true that that is the day that they were having the viewing of their children at the funeral home? Yes, sir. Okay. Did you know about that? Yes, sir. Okay, did they ever request that this be postponed so that they could go to the viewing of their children? Yes, sir. They did? We just asked them if they would mind coming in. It wouldn't take very long. Okay, well, how long did it take? A couple of hours. Well, actually, they were about an hour and a half late getting over to view their own children, weren't they? As a result of coming to talk to you all. Well, it seemed like they were a little late. Yes, sir. Okay, well, did you record by video or audio tape anything either one of them said? No, sir. Did either one of them request that you do so? No, sir. Darren didn't request that? Not to me. No, sir. I take it you all do have audio recorders out there, is that correct? Yes, sir. And tapes? Is that correct? Yes, sir. You have you all have video recorders out at Rowlett. Yes, sir. Is that a yes? Yes, sir. Okay, and you didn't use any of them on this case? No, sir. Did you... Who wrote this statement? You or Mrs. Routier? Mrs. Routier. Okay. Did you ask her questions 
as she was writing, or did she just write it out longhand? Well, we had talked a little bit before, or prior to that, and then she wrote it out. All right, what did you all talk about? Same thing, I just asked her what happened. Okay, did she tell you anything different, giving this rendition to you orally, than she told you in the written statement? No, when we went into the interview room, I explained to her that I was that I needed to explain her rights to her, and she said okay, and so I did, and I asked her to make sure that she read her rights again, and then if she would put her initials by the marks as long as she understood it, and she did, and she wrote it out. Okay. The judge at this point in time says, Mr. Huff, I'm going to inter- interrupt you. We are about to adjourn for the evening. And then they have the officer step down and they continue. The judge then asks, what is it you wanted this witness to look for? And Mr. Uh, Huff says, well, and then the court interrupts and says something that he didn't, you inquired about that he didn't physically have here. And Mr. Huff says, well, his notes, your honor, we do have a subpoena, deuces tecum, prepared for those. And the court says, well, I just thought you wanted to tell him whatever it is you wanted him to have down here. Is 9.30 in the morning? Okay. And he says, this is fine, Your Honor. And then they recess for the evening until the following day. So the next day is August 27th of 1996. And they're back in court. The judge says, okay, back on the record now. All counsel and the defendant are present. This is the second day of testimony. Um, and then he says, are both sides ready to resume? And Mr. Greg Davis, the prosecutor, says, yes, your honor. Uh, Miss Wallace has gone back to get Jimmy Patterson. He is back there in the workroom. The judge then says, okay. And Mr. Greg Davis, again, the prosecutor, says, and while we are waiting... For Detective Patterson, yesterday, counsel inquired about an offense report that was purportedly prepared by Detective Patterson. We cannot find an office offense report that was actually prepared by him. He has this morning giving me certain reports that he did prepare. One is entitled Investigative Supplement Interviews, and I am tendering that three-page document to counsel at this time. He has also tendered to me several pages of personal notes, and I am now tendering those to counsel. And he has also indicated that he has now given me two additional documents entitled, quote, telephone memorandum that he prepared, and I am now tendering those to counsel. And those are the reports that he has prepared. And the judge then says, all right, Mr. Wayne Huff, a part of the defense team, says, judge, I'm going to need to go through these. I can proceed with some more questions now. And then the judge says, okay, why don't you do that? And then we'll take a break when you need one. And he says, that will be fine. I am prepared to proceed. So the court then says, thank you. Go ahead. And whereupon Detective Jimmy Patterson resumed the witness stand as a witness for the state of Texas, having been previously duly sworn by the court to speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, was examined and testified further in open court as follows. And Mr. Wayne Huff, again, part of the defense team, says, Detective Patterson, I believe yesterday we had reached the point where you had taken Mrs. Routier's written statement 
and that we had gotten through the procedure for your having done that. And you again met with her on June the 10th. Is that correct? Yes, sir. I believe that is right. Yes, sir. Did you ask that she came in, that she come in? I'm not sure if we called and asked her to come in or not. All right. Let me turn your attention to the top page of your investigative summary, page four, and ask you if she was requested to come in. Yes, sir, she was. And did she come in? Yes, sir. Did she have her husband with her? Yes, sir. Were they both interviewed or just her? Both of them. All right. Who interviewed her husband? Detective Frosch. Okay. And you interviewed Mrs. Routier, is that correct? Yes, sir. You asked her to draw a diagram, is that correct? Yes, sir. Where is that diagram? It's in the report. In this report? No. Is that the affidavit? No. Is it in the affidavit for arrest warrant? Yes, sir. Okay. Is that what is referred to as Exhibit A? Yes, sir. At this point, Mr. Wayne Huff says, Your Honor, our copy of the affidavit for arrest warrant never had that exhibit on it. We would ask that we be provided with that. At which point the prosecution, Mr. Greg Davis, says, If I could approach the witness for just a moment, Your Honor. And the court says, You may. And at this point, Mr. Greg Davis, the prosecuting attorney, starts to question again Detective Patterson. And he says, Detective Patterson, I am now showing you a document. And if you will, please mark that as State's Exhibit D, whereupon the above mentioned item was marked for identification only as State's Exhibit D. And Mr. Greg Davis then continues, is that, in fact, the diagram that she drew for you on June the 10th, 1996? Yes, sir. And that is the document that was attached to the affidavit as Exhibit A. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Your Honor, at this time, we will offer State's Exhibit D and tender that to counsel. And then Mr. Wayne Huff says, thank you. And then the cross-examination by Mr. Wayne Huff, the defense attorney, one of the defense attorneys continues. Is this a copy of the diagram that she drew for you? Yes, sir. Is it a true and accurate copy of the original? Yes, sir. Your Honor, we will offer this for purposes of this hearing. And Mr. Greg Davis says no objection and the court says received. And then the questioning continues. Was there a reason that you wanted Mrs. Routier to draw you a diagram, officer? Yes, sir. What was that reason? I just wanted her to show us exactly where she was laying on the couch, where the suspect she said was standing, the route that he took to the kitchen or through the kitchen to the utility room. All right. And she did all that for you. Did she? Yes, sir. May I approach the witness, Your Honor? Yes, sir. At which point he walks up to uh, the detective and says, I'm showing you State's Exhibit D. Is that X the location where she said the suspect was and he says yes sir okay which couch did she say that she was on well this couch right here and where was her head in this direction here and then he indicates on the diagram all right so her head was down near the tv is that correct yes sir all right 
What route did she say the suspect took as he left? That he came between the couch and the coffee table this way, and then this little tabletop that you call an island, he was on the east side of it, and then went into the utility room. All right, take this red pen and draw the route she told you the suspect took, if you would. Okay, and the witness complies. All right. In other words, she said that he went around the couch, around the island, and back out the utility room. Is that correct? Yes, sir. All right. And past this wine rack here, where the wine glasses were, is that correct? Yes, sir. One of the wine glasses you later found was broken. Is that right? Yes, sir. All right. Did you ask her any other questions on June 10th other than to draw a diagram? No, sir, not that I can remember. All right. Did you ask her any questions about when she saw the knife? Well, I'm sure I did. What did she tell you? Well, again, she tells me that it was on the floor in the utility room. Okay. Did she tell you when she saw it? When she followed the suspect toward the utility room and saw it on the floor? Okay. Did she tell you when she saw it? Well, when she got to the utility room. All right. Well, actually, isn't it part of your report that she told you she saw it across the island? Yes, sir. In fact, you went out and checked that out. Is that correct? Yes, sir. And she, did you ever confront her with the fact that you couldn't see the knife over the island? No, sir. She came back at a later date and said that, Matter of fact, I think she even called in and said something to Sergeant Lamar Evans about that she didn't see the knife over the island, that she had to get to the utility room before she saw the knife. Okay, so she called back the next day and told you she was mistaken about that. Is that correct? I'm not sure if it was the next day. All right, well, let me see if this will re refresh your memory. And he showed a document to the witness and uh, the officer then says, okay, yes, sir. It was the next day. All right. Is there anything about that that troubled you? Was that one of the things that you called an inconsistency? Yes, sir. Why is that? Well, when she first told me that she saw the knife from the light switch, I couldn't see the knife from the light switch. Then she changed it to where she saw the knife on the floor from standing about midway of that island. All right, well, in between the time, she told you she saw it over the island and she called Sergeant Evans. She had not been back out to the house, had she? No, sir. So she would have had no way of knowing whether that was wrong or not. Is that right? Well, I'm not sure I understand your question. Well, she called you back the next day without having gone out to the scene personally and told you that she had made a mistake. Is that right? Yes, sir. So she gave you a supplemental report. Is that right? Yes, sir. Sort of like Officer Waddell gave you a supplemental report. Is that right? At this point, Mr. Greg Davis, the prosecutor, says, I'm going to object to that. It calls for conclusions on the part of this witness concerning what Officer Waddell did. And the court said sustained. Mr. Wayne Huff then continues uh, with his questioning. Well, let me just ask you this, Detective Patterson. Is it quite often 
that police officers have to go back and correct mistakes in their reports and supplement their reports. Again, Mr. Greg Davis says, I'm going to object to that. It's not relevant as to what officers do in other cases concerning supplemental reports. Again, trying to compare what this woman did to an officer's report, I think is improper and it's irrelevant here. Mr. Wayne Huff then says, well, your honor, the police are saying that it's okay for a trained professional to supplement his report, but when a suspect supplements a report, then there is something suspicious about it. Mr. Greg Davis then says, well, this isn't a supplemental report. This is two inconsistent stories given on two days back to back. And I would hardly call that a supplement to give a contradictory story to a police officer. So again, I think that the comparison, again, and calling this a supplemental report is improper to begin with. At which point the judge says, overruled. Mr. Wayne Huff then continues with his questioning. But she basically did the same thing Officer Waddell did, didn't she? What is that? She changed her mind about what she told you. Again, Mr. Greg Davis says, I'm going to object to that. This is improper characterization of what Officer Waddell did. He didn't change his mind about what he saw, and I'm going to object to that comparison. The court then says, try again. So Mr. Wayne Huff then says, well, officer, let's move on to something else. Suffice it to say, before she called Sergeant Evans back, you didn't confront her and say, well, I can't see over that island into the other room. Did you? No, sir, I did not. All right. Now, she came in voluntarily on June the 8th. Is that right? Yes, sir. She and her husband both. Is that right? Yes, sir. She came in without legal counsel. Is that correct? Mr. Greg Davis then again objects and says, I'm going to object that has been asked and answered, I think, two or three times now as to when she came in on June the 8th prior to this date. So we're going back over old ground at this point, at which point the judge then says sustained. And Mr. Wayne Huff says, well, did she come in with or without legal counsel? Again, Mr. Greg Davis says, I'm going to object again. This has been asked and answered. He said that they came in together by themselves alone. Mr. Wayne Huff then says, all right, let's move on to something else, officer. Now, at the end of your report, you summarized your conclusions, officer. One of them is, quote, Darley mentions she is a light sleeper. This is one reason why she was staying downstairs and not upstairs. Mr. Greg Davis then again objects and says, I'm going to object to him reading from a document that is not in evidence again. And I'm going to object to offering the document if he does offer it, because again, it's hearsay and it is improper impeachment at this time. The court then says, go ahead, sir. And Mr. Wayne Huff says, I'll do it this way, judge. Did Darley tell you she was a light sleeper? Yes, sir. Did she tell you that was why she was staying downstairs? Yes, sir. And you thought that was strange because she didn't hear her children being killed. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Had Mrs. Routier taken any medication that evening before she went to sleep? Not that I'm aware of. Did you ask? Not that I recall. You never asked Mrs. Routier if she ever took any medications that night before she went to sleep. I don't remember asking her. Was the TV on? I was told the TV was on by one of the officers. Okay, was the sound on? 
The sound was on when I went in there that morning. Loud, soft, medium? I don't, I'm not sure. Did you ask Mrs. Routier if the sound was on that night? No, sir. That wasn't important to you? No, sir. What other sounds might have been in the room? No, sir. You didn't figure that into your equation? No, sir. Now the next one. The next one is, you found it unusual that she said in one story that she was struggling with the suspect on the couch, and then in another story that she was not struggling with the suspect and saw him at the foot of the couch. Is that right? Yes, sir. When did she tell you that she was struggling with the suspect? The first time I met with her. In the hospital? Yes, sir. When she was under, had just gotten out of surgery. Is that right? Yes, sir. Is that the only time she told you that? I'm not sure. All right. You also found it strange that there was not any evidence of blood on the couch where she says her head was located when her throat was cut. Yes, sir. Was there any blood on the couch at all? Yes, sir. Where? Towards the, what I would call the north end of the couch where her feet were. All right. Was her head on a pillow? Yes, sir. Did you all retrieve the pillow? Yes, sir. Was there any blood on the pillow? I honestly can't say right now. I did not look at my notes to see. I don't think that there was, but I'm not sure. There is nothing in this report about a pillow, is there? I have not read that report in the last, well, over a month. I don't remember. Now you can't remember whether you checked the pillow out or not. I know that we had taken several pillows, and I'm just not sure on that pillow. Describe the pillow that she had her head on. Well, most of the pillows were like sofa pillows, where they were just small and square, and this was a bed-sized pillow, and it had a maroon pillowcase on it. Okay, was that the only bed-sized pillow downstairs? Yes, sir. All right, let's see. At one point, you say that she told you she saw the knife... When the suspect dropped the knife in the utility room. Correct. When did she tell you that? I'm not sure which conversation it was when she told me that. Well, was it in a written statement? In her written statement? Yes, sir. I have not reviewed her written statement, so I don't remember. She has consistently told you she found the knife in the utility room. Is that correct? Yes, sir. So you know that she went into the utility room. Is that correct? Well, I know she told me that. Well, there was blood in there too, wasn't there? Yes, sir. You say it is inconsistent with the physical evidence when Darley says the knife was on the utility room floor. Is that right? Could you repeat that? You indicate that it is inconsistent. And one of the things you took into account is the inconsistent that the knife was on the floor in the utility room. Is that correct? Well, that it's inconsistent that the knife was found on the utility floor. You said there was no evidence that it was ever on the floor. Right. Yes, sir. That is correct. Was there blood on the utility floor? It looks like drops of blood. Who told you that it looked like drops of blood? Well, I saw, personally, I saw drops of blood and Sergeant Neighbors and James Cron. All right. Did they say the knife was never on the utility room floor? Yes, sir. All right. How much blood did the knife have on it at the time that it was laid on the utility floor? Well, I don't believe that it was ever laid on the utility floor. 
How much blood was on the knife when you saw it on the counter? It looked like quite a bit of blood. Well, how much had dripped onto the counter? Well, I can't tell you in measurements. I mean, you can tell that the knife was laying on that tabletop. Okay, you mean on the counter? On the countertop, yes, sir. And it laid there for quite a while, didn't it? Yes, sir. All right. The evidence would seem to suggest that it only laid on the utility room floor for just minutes. If it was there at all. Is that right? Well, I don't believe it was ever there. Okay. Well, if it was there, according to her statement, it was there for a very brief period of time. Would that be correct? Yes, sir. You indicated one of the things that you took into consideration is that Mrs. Routier never mentioned being on the west side of the island, between the island and the sink. Is that something you took into account? Yes, sir. Did you ever ask her if she was in that location? Well, I didn't ask her in a way that, were you on that side? But I did ask her, can I look at that? Sure. Because when she got done, when she got through drawing this out, I asked her several times, did anyone ever go on the west side between the island and the sink? Did anyone ever go to that side toward the utility room? Did anyone ever come back this way between the island and the sink to get back into this room? And she told me no. When did you ask her that? When she got through doing this drawing. All right. Did you ever ask her, did you go near the sink? I didn't ask her if she went near the sink. I asked her if she or anyone had ever either went this way or went or came back this way. Well, anyone. Did you ask her if she did? Yes, I said, did you or anyone? All right. So you are saying now that you specifically asked her if she ever went over to where the sink was. I didn't mention the sink. All right. You asked her if she ever went into the utility room from that direction. Yes, sir. And you say that she told you no? Right. Did you ever ask her if she was standing at the sink? No, sir. You knew there was blood at the sink. Yes, sir. But you never inquired of that? No, sir. Were there some bloody towels seized? Yes, sir. Did you ask her where those came from? No, sir. Is there a drawer in the kitchen where towels are kept? Yes, sir. Where is that located? This part right here. Yes, this part right here. I mean, it's kind of a lower part, and then there is a higher part right there, and then there's some drawers right in here. And the witness then indicates on the diagram. Which drawer has the towels? I believe there was a set of three drawers there, and it was the middle one. Did that drawer have blood on it? I'm not sure without looking at the pictures. Where are the footprints that you talked about leading from the kitchen to the den? Right in here. And the witness again indicates on the diagram. All right. This island was actually a little more over here, but it is right in here. All right. So the footprints are in front of that drawer. Yes, sir. And you say there are no footprints going back into the utility room. No, sir. But there was blood back there, isn't there? There are drops of blood. Yes, sir. So someone who was bleeding was back there, right? Yes, sir. You indicate in here that a security light is activated when someone is in the backyard. Yes, sir. 
Did y'all check that out? Sergeant Neighbors and... Yes, sir. Sergeant Neighbors did. And you say that security light turns on for how long? I don't remember. Why don't you take a look at your report? It indicates 18 minutes. All right. How is that security light triggered? Is it a motion detector? Yes, sir. Who first told you that the security light was not on when the police officers arrived? Sergeant Matt Walling. Okay. When did he arrive at the scene? Four or five minutes after the call was made. All right. Do you know the method they used to test how the security light comes on? No, sir. You indicate that the injuries to Mrs. Routier are not consistent with the children's injuries. Is that correct? Yes, sir. She was stabbed, wasn't she? Yes, sir. She was cut, wasn't she? Yes, sir. Do you believe that a person struggling with an assailant might receive different injuries than someone who is not? I honestly can't say. Darley's injuries were not life-threatening. They were not life-threatening at all? I don't believe so, no, sir. You mean if they were left untreated, she would not have bled to death? I'm not sure. There was blood found underneath the broken glass in the kitchen where Darley says the suspect ran or walked through. There were not any cuts on the bottom of her feet. Is that what you're saying? Yes, sir. Where were... I want you to put little X's in where all of the glass fragments were. Well, I wouldn't be able to show where all of the glass fragments were. There were hundreds of them, weren't there? There were a bunch. Yes, sir. Well, can you show us where the largest glass fragments were? Well, you know, if I was looking at a picture, I could show you where there was a bigger piece... Okay, let me show you what's been marked as State's Exhibit number 13, and I'll ask you if you can identify that. Yes, sir. Is that part of the kitchen floor next to the wine rack? Yes, sir. Does the largest part of the glass fragments appear there? Yes, sir. And would that be here? Yes, sir. Are there any other glass fragments there? Yes, sir. Where? All over the floor, all in this area, all in this particular area. Yes, sir. Are there any of the glass fragments in State's Exhibit 14? I know that they are in this area right in here, and I'm not sure how far it goes back there uh, because this picture right here is showing more where this vacuum cleaner was. Okay. You can't see any there. Is that correct? Well, no. No, sir. I can't. All right. Now, you know that at least two police officers walked over this kitchen floor to go back and check out the garage, don't you? Yes, sir. You know the paramedics were in the house, is that correct? Yes, sir. Do you know if they were in the kitchen or not? No, sir. You didn't ask them? I don't recall anyone, any of the paramedics going into the kitchen. Well, you weren't there, were you? No, sir. And you didn't ask them, did you? No, sir. And it wasn't in the report, was it? No, sir. So you really don't know whether the position of the glass changed from the time it was broken until the time the physical evidence people arrived, do you? No, sir. You are saying, you are not saying, that every time you step on a piece of glass with bare feet, you are going to cut your foot, are you? 
No, sir. Let's see. On June the 18th, when did you decide to get an arrest warrant for Mrs. Routier? I believe we got the arrest warrant on June the 18th. When was the decision made to get the arrest warrant? June the 18th. All right. In the morning? Yes, sir. All right. Was this as a result of a meeting or a conference with you and other detectives? Yes, sir. Who was involved in that conference? Sergeant Evans and Detective Frosch. So y'all went down and got an arrest warrant from Judge Warder. Is that correct? Yes, sir. And you called up Mrs. Routier and her husband and asked them to come in and be interviewed yet again. Is that correct? Yes, sir. And they came in once again. Is that correct? Yes, sir. When was Mrs. Routier advised that she was, that you had a warrant for her arrest? Approximately nine o'clock that June the 18th. What time did she come in? I don't remember the time. I want to say it was around seven o'clock. Let me ask you if that refreshes your memory. And then he shows the witness a document. Yes, sir. Okay. What time was it? 6.50 p.m. All right. Who read her her rights? I did. Who interviewed her? Bill Parker. Is he a relit police officer? No, sir. Why was he called in to interview her? He is a retired Dallas police officer. Why specifically was he called in to interview her? He had worked homicide cases for about 11 years. All right. Did you feel like you needed someone else at this point to interview Mrs. Routier? Yes, sir. So she allowed herself to be interviewed by yet another person until she was advised that she was under arrest. Is that correct? Yes, sir. That's correct. And then and only then did she ask for a lawyer. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Officer, are you sure that it's Mr. Parker that interviewed her and not you? No, Mr. Parker interviewed her. Were you there during his interview? Yes, sir. No, sir. Well, I was there, but I mean, I was not in the interview room. Where were you? Outside the interview room. Were you listening? No, sir. Well, why did you put in your report that, quote, I read Darley her Miranda rights before conducting an interview with her? Well, it says that I read Darley her Miranda rights before conducting an interview with her. Yes, sir. What part of that report says that Mr. Parker conducted an interview with her? It doesn't. But that is what happened, isn't it? Yes, sir. You indicate, officer, that you all had a garland canine come out there to smell around the house of the outside of the house. Is that right? Yes, sir. You indicate, was there something unusual about what that resulted in? Yes, sir. And what was that? According to the officer that handles the canine, there wasn't any disturbance around that area of the window. Well, what do you mean there was no disturbance? Well, that it didn't appear that anybody had been out there, that there had been anybody moving around on the grass. Was that the dog's opinion or the officer's opinion? The officer's. Was that based on the dog not picking up a scent? Yes, sir. All right. 
Well, does that mean that there was no one out in the backyard in the last 24 hours or six hours or? Well, no, sir, because there was two officers that had searched back there. All right, I guess the dog didn't pick up their scent either. Is that what you're saying? Well, the dog didn't pick up on any disturbance where it led from that backyard. All right, well, the dogs pick up on smell, not disturbances, don't they? Well, I'm not sure how that canine works. Okay, well, there was a sign of a small disturbance. I mean, the screen was cut, wasn't it? By someone? Yes, sir. So we know someone was out there. Is that right? Yes, sir. What kind of disturbance were you looking for out there? Footprints. And you didn't find any of those? No, sir. Was the ground wet? Was it muddy? No, sir. Is it possible to get to that window where the screen was cut without stepping on grass or bare ground? Yes, sir. Well, how would you do that? Well, you can stay on the concrete. Well, in fact, the concrete extends right up to that window, doesn't it? Yes, sir. All right. Now, as a result of all this, you went down and got an arrest warrant for Mrs. Routier, and that was executed that same night. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Okay, you saw the window with the cut screen before it was removed. Yes, sir. In your opinion, could someone have gone in and out of that window? Was it possible for a human being to get in through that window through the screen? Yes, sir. Was it possible for them to do that without disturbing the windowsill or any of the dust or anything that was on it? Well, anything is possible, but I don't think they could have. Well, was there mulch under the window bed or under the windowsill? I would have to look at the picture. Okay, so the attorney then shows the picture to the witness and he says, no, sir. Mulch on the flower beds. Was there mulch on the flower beds? Yes, sir. Was it necessary to go over that mulch to get to that window? No, sir. So the fact that mulch wasn't disturbed would be really of no significance at all, would it? No, sir. Well, if that is true, why did you talk about it in your affidavit for arrest warrant, officer? Well, we indicated that it didn't look like anybody had walked through it. Is it true, officer, that there was blood extending all the way from in the kitchen to back where the utility room was? Yes, sir. There was blood in front of the wine rack. Is that right? Yes, sir. There was blood all along here. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Was there blood on the other side of the island? Yes, sir. So it's your conclusion that anyone walking through that area would have left a footprint. Well, no more blood than what was on that side of the island. On the west side of the island, there might not have been any footprints, no. What are you referring to as the west side of the island? Well, this is the west side of the island here, and he indicates on a diagram. And there is just some drops of blood going this way. Well, were those blood drops disturbed in any way? No, sir. Would it be your opinion that someone that would walk back there would disturb the blood? Yes, sir. You were aware. Well, I mean, they wouldn't have. Well, no, sir. 
you are aware that two police officers walked back there? Yes, sir. Did they appear to have disturbed the blood? No, sir. Did they leave any footprints? No, sir. You know that both of them were in the living room where there was copious blood on the carpet? Yes, sir. Did they leave any footprints anywhere in the house? Well, you could see some footprint markings in the carpet. They didn't leave any in the kitchen, did they? No, sir. All right. At this point, Mr. Wayne Huff says, Your Honor, could we approach the bench for a moment? And the court says, sure. Um, Whereupon a short discussion was held off the record, um, and then the proceedings resumed. Officer, we have been referring to the east side of the island and the west side of the island. Would you just put an E and a W just so we will know what we are talking about here? Okay, and the witness complies. So the west side is the top and the east side is the bottom of this sheet of paper. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Officer, I asked you to bring some handwritten notes down to court today. Let me show you defendant's exhibit number six and ask if you can identify that. Yes, sir. All right. Are those the handwritten notes that you brought? Yes, sir. Are those the only handwritten notes that you have in this case? Well, or that you wrote in this case? Yes, sir. Okay. And then these two, those two. And the telephone memorandum I have marked as a separate exhibits, defendants exhibits seven and eight. Are these the only telephone memorandum you made as a result of this case? Yes, sir. Defendant's Exhibit Number 5. What is Defendant's Exhibit Number 5? It's a supplement that I started. Okay, that you didn't complete? Right. Okay, it's page, it's marked page 1 of, and then that's blank, and then page 2 of blank, and then the third page doesn't appear to be marked? Right. There are no other pages to this document. No, sir. It's just that you didn't finish it? Right. And Defendant's Exhibit 4 is your prosecution prosecution report. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Okay, and it's five pages long. Is that right? Yes, sir. All right. Did you have occasion, and I need to take you back now, officer, to the hospital, Did you have an occasion to talk to a nurse there by the name of Teresa Marie Powers? Yes, sir. Did you personally interview her? No, sir, not at the time. Did you interview her later? Yes, sir. Did she give you an affidavit? Yes, sir. What did she tell you? At which point the prosecutor, Mr. Greg Davis, says, I'm going to object to that as being hearsay. Mr. Wayne Huff then says, well, Your Honor, uh, this is the investigating officer. Hearsay is admissible at this hearing. Mr. Greg Davis says, no, it's not. What rule says that hearsay is admissible in this hearing? And then the court then says, will you? Mr. Greg Davis kind of interrupts the judge and says, I don't know of any rule that says the court says, excuse me, quiet, please. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Mr. Greg Davis says, I'm sorry, I'm unaware of any rule of evidence that says that this hearing allows hearsay. 
Unless counsel can cite that rule for me, I don't know of it. Mr. Wayne Huff then says, well, your honor, the court's case law specifically says that court is entitled to rely upon for its ruling, not only evidence that comes in that might come in at trial, even evidence that might not be admissible at trial. And this particular officer, I would remind the court, is an investigating officer, and I believe that I am entitled to cross-examine him about his opinions. Mr. Davis says, well, if there is case law to that effect, and I have not seen that case law, but it would sound to me as though it's in within the sound discretion of this court as to whether we're going to venture off into tangents of hearsay, which will take us well into tomorrow, or whether we're going to confine this to the established rules of evidence here. Mr. Huff says, well, judge, if she doesn't have anything important to say, he can just tell us that and we will move on. Mr. Davis says, well, no, we couldn't do that because we know what's going to happen here with this line of questioning. History has told us that won't happen. The judge then says, well, if you have the authority, I will be glad to look at it. Otherwise, I'm going to, Mr. Wayne Huff then says, oh, I'll just move on, your honor. And then the judge says, thank you. Mr. Huff then continues his questioning. You did take an affidavit from her later. Is that right? Yes, sir. Okay. At the hospital that night, did you question someone about some insurance policies? No, not that I remember at the hospital. Okay. When is the first time you questioned someone about that? That is going to be sometime after we found the insurance policies at the house. Where did you find those, please? In the living area. Where in the living area? Next to the couch that Darley Routier was laying on. All right. Which couch was that? It was right here. There was a stack of papers, insurance policies. Were there any other papers there other than the insurance policies? Yes, sir. What? Some cat records, social security records, birth certificates, marriage license. A lot of personal papers just scattered out there? Yes, sir. Okay, now, did you find any insurance policies on either of the two children? I'm not sure. No, I don't remember finding any policies, no. Well, let me just make it clear what I'm talking about. You had indicated at some point that on Darren, there was a $700,000 in life insurance in life insurance policies. Yes, sir. What was the source of that information? Darley told me about the insurance on him. When did she tell you that? During one of the interviews. Okay. Did it turn out that there was that much insurance on him? No, but we found some policies, but I'm not sure of the amount. Okay, how about policies on Mrs. Routier? Were there any insurance policies on her? Yes, sir. Okay, did you personally review them? No, sir. How much were they for? I believe she told me, I believe she told me she had, there was two different insurance policies on Darren and two different policies on Darley and the children had two different policies each, except for Drake. He didn't have any. How much insurance was on the children? $5,000 each. Okay, and on Darley, you still don't know for sure? Well, I want to say there was one like for $150,000 and one for $100,000. Okay, I'm going to turn your direct your attention to page three of Defendant's Exhibit 6 
What date do you recall making those entries in your personal notes? I didn't put a date on this sheet. Can you tell from the context of it when they were probably made or not? Well, sometime during one of the interviews. All right, but you cannot tell which interview? I'm not sure without going back and looking it over real good. Okay, the first two pages appear to be made on June the 6th. Is that right? Yes, sir. Okay, and then the next page is not dated. No, sir. So you don't know when that was made. And not without going back and reviewing it. Okay, page four is not dated. Page five is not dated. Page six is not dated. Page seven is not dated. Page eight is not dated. Page nine is not dated. Page 10 is not dated. Page 11 is not dated. And page 12 is not dated. Page 11 is, oh, it was dated. I missed that. All right. What date was that? June 6th. All right. Now, are these pages in the order that you made them? No, sir. Okay. The list of people that you have on this last page of this exhibit, when was that list compiled? I don't have the date. I don't remember. All right. The numbers out beside each one, what do those refer to? Well, these are prescription bottles, and I just took all the doctor's names and dates off of the prescription bottles. Okay. Did you ever interview any of those doctors? No, sir. Okay. You indicated to the court yesterday that you, I believe, found Mrs. Routier's demeanor at the hospital unusual in hindsight. What about Mr. Routier's demeanor? Well, the first time I met him was at the hospital in this room, and at first I didn't think that his demeanor was appropriate. Okay, why? Well, because of the way he was acting. The first thing he asked or said to me when I first walked in that room was he talked about his wife's breasts and the size of them. All right. Okay. Did he say anything else you thought was inappropriate? Well, there were several times that he had been in that room for a long time and never one time asked about the children. Okay. And there was times that he cried and there was times that he laughed. Okay. And you thought that was unusual at the time. Yes, sir. Well, is it fair to say then I mean, later you determined that he was not involved. Is that, is that correct? That's correct. So would it be fair to say that the fact that someone acts a little differently than you expect doesn't mean that they are guilty of anything, wouldn't it? No, sir. It wouldn't be correct. Well, to what now? Well, the fact that someone acts inappropriately, in your opinion, after the death of their children doesn't mean that they caused their death, does it? I'm not sure of the question you are asking. Well, you indicated, did you not, that Mr. Routier was acting as if nothing serious had happened to his family. Is that right? Yes, sir. Okay, but you later determined that he did not commit this offense, didn't you? That's correct. So the fact that he was acting as if nothing serious had happened to his family doesn't make him guilty, does it? No, sir. All right, officer, would you recognize the 911 tape if you heard it? Yes, sir. Now, specifically, I'm talking about the 911 tape that was made the night or the early morning hours of June 6th. Yes, sir. 
Have you listened to that tape? Yes, sir. How was that tape compiled? Explain the process to us, please. Well, it's on a reel-to-reel tape, and every 24 hours it's taken off. I believe it's 12 midnight, but it's taken off, and a new one is put on, and then it's placed in a container that is placed wherever they put them. Did you make a copy of the 911 tape? Yes, sir. Okay, did you listen to the original of the 911 tape as you were making a copy? Yes, sir. Okay, so you could recognize if what I am about to play is, if it fairly and accurately depicts the original. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Okay, I want you to listen closely because I'm going to ask you some questions afterward. Mr. Wayne Huffton says, mark this for me, please. At which point the identification came in as defendant's exhibit number nine. Mr. Wayne Huff then continues and says, let the record reflect that I am playing a tape, your honor, for the purpose of identification at this time. The court then says, okay. And whereupon the 911 tape was played in open court. And the following is a transcript of the tape as best could be heard, but it is not a verbatim transcript. And it goes as follows. And this is this is all in the transcript. So I apologize if you've heard this multiple times, but this is all in the transcripts. And it goes on to say, 911, what's your emergency? And then there's an audible. And then, ma'am, he just stabbed me and my children. And then she says, what? He just stabbed me and my children. Who did? A man. Hang on, hang on. Please come. My babies are dying. Oh my God. Oh God. My babies are dying. This is 911 medical emergency. There is a stabbing at 5801 Eagle Drive, block 231 Eagle Drive. And then it's an audible. Ma'am, I need you to calm down and talk to me. And then again, an audible. Okay. 5801 Eagle. Yes. Ma'am, ma'am, listen to me. Listen to me. I need you to listen to me. Oh my God. Did you pick the radio up? Yes. Oh my God. Ma'am, I need you to talk to me. Oh my God. Oh my God. Inaudible. Ma'am, I can't understand you. You are going to have to slow down and calm down and talk to me. Inaudible. What is going on? My babies were sleeping downstairs and they are dead. Oh my God. Hold on, baby. Hold on. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. And then again, inaudible. Ma'am, is there anybody in the house besides you and your children? My husband. He was just came downstairs. The baby is crying. They are dying. Oh my God. Oh my God. Ma'am, listen to me. Calm down. Calm down. 5801 Eagle Drive. When are they going to be here? Ma'am, they are on the way. Ma'am, how old are your boys? What? How old are your boys? Oh my God. Oh my God. Is your name Darley? Yes. And your husband's name Darren? Yes. Ma'am, you don't know who did this? Inaudible. They left a knife out there. Inaudible. Ma'am, don't touch anything. I already picked it up. Ma'am, are you still out on Eagle? Mm-hmm, I live on Eagle. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. How could they do this? Listen, ma'am, you need to let the officers in the front door, okay? Ma'am, you need to let the police officers in the front door. Inaudible. Okay, it's all right, it's okay. Inaudible. Somebody just walked in here and did it, Darren. Oh my God, oh my God. Ma'am, is the police officer there? Yes, he's here. Okay, go talk to him. Okay, go talk to him. Okay, end of tape. Mr. Wayne Huff then says, Officer, let me, 
You have just heard State's Exhibit Number 9, the first portion of the 911 call played. Does that fairly and accurately depict the 911 call, the original? Yes, sir. At which point, Mr. Wayne Huffton says, Your Honor, we will offer Defendant's Exhibit Number 9 and ask that we be allowed to substitute a copy. And Mr. Davis says, No objection. The court says, Received. Officer, did you ever listen to the 911 tape to determine if you could hear any glass breaking on it? I listened to that tape several times. Yes, sir. Did you ever hear any glass breaking on the tape? Not that I remember. You just listened to it then. Did you hear it then? No, sir. Okay, just one other thing, officer. Did you all take the glass, all of the glass, into custody or into evidence? We did take some, yes, sir. But not all? No, sir. How long did you all have the house to work with? About 11 days. And you took a lot of things out of the house, didn't you? Yes, sir. Papers, notebooks, personal effects, all sorts of things, didn't you? Yes, sir. In fact, one thing that you didn't take out of the house was the major piece of broken glass. Is that correct? And it's listed in the transcripts as no response. And he questions, you didn't take into evidence the stem piece of the glass that was broken, did you? I would have to look at the evidence tags. All right. Well, Mrs. Routier told you that she thought that the person was wearing a black baseball cap. Is that right? Yes, sir. Does that appear to be a black baseball cap in the laundry room? Yes, sir. After being in the house for 11 days, you didn't take that into evidence either, did you? No, sir. In fact, the DA's office had to run an evidentiary search warrant to go back and get that glass. Is that right? To get the cap? To get the cap. I'm sorry. Yes, sir. Were you present when that evidentiary search warrant was executed? Yes, sir. Was there any other evidence gathered other than the baseball cap at that time? No, sir. No further blood samples were taken? No, sir. How long did you spend in the house? Just a few minutes. All we did is we waited on a crime scene officer to arrive so we could photograph the cap. All right. At which point, Mr. Wayne Huff says, pass the witness. So Mr. Greg Davis, the prosecutor, then begins to question Detective Patterson. And at first asks if he can approach the witness. And the court says, sure. Detective Patterson, let me show you the state's exhibit number 18. Do you recognize this as a photograph that was taken of Darlie Routier at Baylor Hospital on June 6th of 1996? Yes, sir. And it shows some three cuts to three of her fingers. Yes, sir. Did you see those cuts when you went to see her at Baylor Hospital? Yes, sir. All right. At which point he says, I'll offer state's exhibit number 18. Mr. Huff says no objection. The court says received. Detective, if we can look at state's exhibit number 15, you see a part of the countertop over here which would be, as we are, are looking at the sink, to the right of the sink. Yes, sir. Was there any visible blood? No, sir. How about the inside of the sink? Was there any visible blood when you looked inside the sink? There were a few drops. Okay. Now, did you participate in a trip to the house where this particular area of the countertop was luminoled? 
Yes, sir. And luminol is what? Well, is a chemical substance that is made up that you can spray on a tabletop or spray on anything that shows blood. All right. And when this particular area of the countertop was luminoled, what were the results? It looked like somebody had wiped up blood off that countertop. Okay. Again, before you did the luminol, there was no apparent blood on this surface, was there? That's correct. On that tape that was just played, could you hear any water running in a sink? No, sir. While that tape was being played, I noticed that the defendant was crying quite heavily. And how many meetings did you have with this defendant prior to her arrest? Well, it was several. Did you ever see her cry like that? I saw her act. I never saw any tears. Okay, well, I saw tears today. I'm asking you, did you ever see a tear come out of her eyes during any of the meetings that you had with her prior to her arrest? No, sir. Detective, at some point did the Rowlett Police Department obtain a copy of a videotape that was shot by KXAS? I'm sorry. Did the Rowlett Police Department ever obtain a copy of the videotape that was done by KXAS at a cemetery in Rockwall, Texas? Yes, sir. Detective Patterson, let me show you State's Exhibit Number 27. Is this, in fact, the tape that was provided to your department by KXAS? Yes, sir. Have you had an opportunity to review it? No, sir, I have not. At the time that you saw Darren Routier at Baylor Hospital on June 6th of 1996, did you know whether or not Darren Routier had discussed the deaths of his two children with his wife, Darley Routier? No, sir. Did you know at that time whether he approved of their deaths or not? No, sir. Did you know whether he had witnessed their deaths? No, sir. Did you know what he really knew about these deaths? Not at the time. You said he made some comment about his wife's breasts. What exactly did he say? I would have to review the notes to see exactly what he said, but when I walked in there, the first thing he talked about was, how pretty she was, and she had big breasts. How long were you there with him? In the hospital? Yes, sir. Just a few minutes. Besides the one broken wine glass, were there any other items in that house that were broken? No, sir. All right. Mr. Greg Davis then says, pass the witness, at which point Mr. Wayne Huff begins the recross and says, officer, did you take any fingernail scrapings from Mrs. Routier? Well, we checked. I asked the crime scene officer about it, and she doesn't have any fingernails, or she didn't at the time. None at all? No, we did not. You didn't even try. She didn't have enough to try. Did you find out what caused the cuts on her hand? No, sir. Did you ask Mrs. Routier what caused them? Yes, sir. What did she tell you? During one of the interviews, she just thought that maybe she had gotten the cuts by that knife. Okay, she didn't know either, in other words. No, she was guessing. Yes, sir. Did you get any professional opinions about that? No, sir. There was no blood in the sink? There was a few drops. Okay. There was blood to the... And Luminol showed that there had been blood to the right of the sink. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Well, I guess your theory, officer, is that someone cleaned up the blood around the sink. Yes, sir. And you are telling the court 
that they cleaned up over here everything in the sink. Yes, sir. And left this. Yes, sir. They just forgot about that little bit of blood on the front of the sink. Is that right? I don't know if they forgot or if they just didn't notice it. You didn't have any trouble noticing it, did you, officer? No, sir. By the way, not having any drops of blood in the sink, would that also be consistent with the water running? Is that correct? I'm not sure what you are asking. Well, if you turn on the water to get rags wet and there was not any blood visible except for luminol, that would be consistent with that, wouldn't it? Well, I'm still not sure. Well, officer, if you have a bloody rag and you've got in a sink to get it wet and the water is running, then the blood is going to run down the sink. Is that right? Yes, sir. Okay. Or is it going to get on the towel one way or the other? Is that right? Yes, sir. And if you put the towel up on the counter and there's no visible blood except from luminol, that means that could also be consistent with a towel being up there, maybe with water and blood on it. Is that right? Well, I'm not sure what you're saying. Well, you understand the luminol process, right? You don't claim to be an expert on it. No, sir, but you understand it. Yes, sir. It shows up where blood may have been that is not visible to the naked eye. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay, so if you've got a rag that had blood and some blood and a lot of water on it and they put it somewhere and you couldn't see it with the naked eye but you could see it with luminol that would also be consistent with placing a rag on a countertop is that correct yes sir was the luminol done when was the luminol test done officer i don't remember the date well it wasn't the first or second day was it no sir Officer, based on your investigation, was it your opinion that this was just a spur-of-the-moment crime, or was this planned, or do you have an opinion? I have an opinion. What is your opinion? I'm not saying that she planned it out over weeks, but I think that she just didn't wake up and it happened. So it was planned. I think that at least by a few minutes. Not very well planned, is that what you are saying? Yes, sir. Okay. At which point Mr. Wayne Huff says, I believe that's all, Your Honor. Mr. Greg Davis says no further questions. The court then says you may step down. And at which point the state then calls Charles Lynch. And with that, because this is running now about two and a half hours long, um, I'm just going to do Charles Lynch's testimony in a separate episode. So please uh, keep your eye out for that. That shouldn't be too far along behind this one. As usual, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening. It means so much to me. As a reminder, if you did enjoy this podcast and want to become a supporter along with Extra Perts, consider becoming a Patreon. Again, you can go to patreon.com slash beachhouse34 or you can get to the link by visiting Beach House 34 podcast on Instagram. It's right there in the link in bio. Again, thank you. And I will be back soon.